This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's time for our Tuesday strategy panel. And on this back to school, back to work, back to whatever day, it will be down to real electioneering for the three parties. Joining me in studio, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road. Hi, all. Good afternoon. Hello there, Libby. Okay. So, even though we're supposed to be working, I'd like to start with a game and uh, spoiler alert, Gavin Day in the newscast, but I still think it's a worthwhile exercise. So, let's call this game pin the slogan on the party. (laughs) So can you guess which is which, or do you remember which is which, or are they all just interchangeable pablum? So panelists, once again, they are in it for you. It's time for you to get ahead and choosing forward, John. Well, I think you know, slogans are interesting um, uh, concepts because if, if every campaign wants to have them. Every campaign needs to have them. Um, but I think the reality of slogans and success of slogans is based on the believability, right? You have to have a slogan that somehow is matches the person, the persona of the leader. You know, I, I hearken back to when Rob Ford was running for, for mayor and his became, you know, stop the gravy train. Um, I'm not sure many other individuals would have had a success with that slogan, but because he was Rob Ford and because of the work that he did when he was a counselor and, and all the tax cutting, uh, you know, issues and, and, you know, so there was a believability about stop the gravy train. Um, so with the ones that you just mentioned, I think it's easy to determine which ones they are because obviously the conservatives want to think about the fact that you know getting ahead so the 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 message there is in the last four years are you better off today than you were four years ago and if you're not then you want to vote for us because we're going to get you ahead and we're going to, we're going to worry about you getting ahead of 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 you know financially successfully economically um the, the one that really shocks me is the ndp in it for you I just don't get that one. I really don't. I don't know if there's, again, back to the believability of it. I'm not sure people look at Jagmeet Singh or the NDP and say they're in it for me. I think they're in it for a very select few groups. I'm not sure that's going to be successful. Charles. So um, Choose forward. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very effective play on the 2015 liberal slogan, which was choose change, which is probably the only one that people can remember from the 2015 campaign. Oh, you you left a couple out, Libby. Oh, I, the, the Green the, the Party. The Green Party are not left, the, not right, forward, and the People's Party are strong and free. I think. Oh, I didn't um, even know they had one. Okay, they, they do, and for all the good it will do them. But it's interesting that the um, that the Green Party is actually chosen chosen forward as well, which is a reiteration of the Liberal message, and it goes to the forward thinking nature of, of those two campaigns, whereas the sort of more populist, more consumer oriented in it for you or time for you to get a better job with more pay and more vacation time or whatever the conservative slogan is, long as it may be. Um, it, it it's is a, it's an interesting. It's an interesting contrast. Yeah, you really want something that, that 
that fits three on words. a bumper sticker? Two or three words. Yeah, exactly. Or and, maybe four words. Yep. Karen? Yeah. And it's hard, I think, um, to the point John was making, part of the slogan has credibility in the party or the leader that's saying it. Part of the credibility of the slogan is reflective of what's happening in the day. So when we had uh, Rob Ford saying he was going to cut the gravy train, it was because people felt spending at City Hall was out of control. Now, we have these slogans, and I think the slogans don't really speak to what people are feeling. Now, I, I don't know that I would necessarily know what that slogan is either, but all of them, I think, fall slightly flat because yeah. there's a sense that they're all missing what the real issues for are for the voters. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, for me, I don't, I don't know what they mean. They yeah. don't mean a thing. Where's and for the, the liberals, word change? Where's well, the word change? I'm surprised that no party has actually embraced change well, because that's traditionally something that voters opt for when they're dissatisfied with the current government or perhaps they're not all that dissatisfied with the current I government. I think that, yeah, I mean, they're probably not all that dissatisfied with the current government, but maybe with the current leader. Well, and Charles is right about that. And I think everybody, a lot of campaigns, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of campaigns, both provincial, federally, federal, will always use the word change. But I think change, there's got to be, and Karen's right about the timing of it, because if you say change, you know, they must have done some internal polling that shows that Canadians aren't like over the top about change. They're not, they might not be happy with the current prime minister for a number of reasons, but it might not be because of change and change might not be the, the word that might have been used after 15 years of liberal misgovernment and misspending that happened provincially. Um, you know, and all that, that, uh, that took place with McGinty when, uh, no doubt change was a big factor because everybody wanted change and 80% of Ontarians that were, 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 Polled said they want change. So the fact that that Doug Ford and others used the word change in their in their uh, uh, slogan actually worked because there was that feeling of change. Okay, so uh, where does that take us? I I I I don't know. I think these slogans are pretty. I don't think that they're going to move anything one way or another. Well, I think there is a potential that the conservative slogan could uh, rally in the West. Because I think there is a sense that the government hasn't really been sensitive to the needs of particularly Alberta and BC, that the, the pipeline has caused friction in the West that's still unresolved. And in other areas of the country, there's still, like the carbon tax is unresolved. Uh, the, the ethics issue is unresolved to some degree, uh, because Trudeau's not apologizing yet. He's been found to have violated. So there's still a sense that there's a lot of things that are unresolved, and yet, um, other than marijuana regulation, there hasn't really been a lot of accomplishments the Liberals could point to. And so when Andrew Scheer says, you know what, we're in it for you, whether he's the right messenger, I think there is a sense that this government has been delivering on promises that actually aren't ones that we've been asking for. Uh, okay, so let's go to some of the numbers. Uh, you know, you're bringing up the Ethics Commissioner's report. We've talked about it. Every poll that it kind of was taken since then shows that, that it's not going to hurt them. Uh, the latest aggregation shows the Liberals within five seats of a majority. Well, I couldn't possibly comment on that. Just, uh, <laughs> it would be totally, Charles would be totally wrong and biased. <laughs> no, I think anyone who uh, thinks this election is a foregone conclusion has never witnessed uh, an election before because these things are notoriously uh, mercurial and fluid and campaigns matter. I mean, what happens over the course of the campaign and what Canadians decide is the most important sort of voter intent question that will determine their own ballot choice is yet to be determined. That's the main purpose of the campaign 
team to sort of bring forward the conflicting ideas, where we'll begin to see the, the true tone and nature of the campaign is whether it's issues oriented uh, in terms of things like carbon pricing, uh, like uh, more investments in Canadian jobs and Canadian infrastructure, um, or whether it's wedge-based, whether it's going to be sort of uh, liberals are letting in murderers of small children, and as we've oh, seen over oh, recent Okay, days. yes, that's. I was going to hit that later, but I just want to make sure people know what you're talking about, and it's uh, an interesting thing about the role of, of social media, because suddenly there's this uh, this claim going around on social media that that the liberals may be on the verge of accepting a former child murderer, that horrible child murderer in the UK of James Bolger, a two-year-old who was abducted and murdered by 10-year-olds. Well, the 10-year-olds have grown up, and one of them uh, has not committed other crimes that we know of, but the other one, uh, and uh, the other one uh, has been convicted, child pornography, trouble with the law, and suddenly there's this thing that, oh, by the way, he's coming to Canada and he has a new name. And then other people are saying, well, that's politically motivated, uh, but it's... Is it actually true? Uh, I don't believe no. so. No, it no, is not, not true. true. In fact, this story first emerged in a UK tabloid last June, and the Canadian government very clearly, uh, very quickly made clear that if you commit a crime in another country that would be considered illegal in Canada, you ain't coming to Canada. And this was, and the government was very, very outspoken and very strong on this last June. And yet we see the issue resurrected for just the reasons, Libby, that you cite, which is that there'll be a certain percentage of people out there who don't know the truth or don't care about the truth, who are happy to embrace this kind of malarkey in, in all in a desperate aim to scare people into thinking liberals are soft on crime. I mean, it's ludicrous. And well, if this is the, if this is the future shape of the campaign, it's going to be a long seven weeks. Well, it's well, social media. Like they, well, there, there's yeah. a lot of crazy stuff on social media in all directions. Yeah. And I think that's right. I think social media, you know, every election that we've seen, every election cycle we've seen, we've seen social media becoming more and more prominent and, and more and more, um, you know, I guess very, quite frankly, focused on, on, on stuff. So there's certain things that parties can control in social media and certain parties, certain things that parties can't. We've also got the whole advent of third parties advertising and third party groups that are coming in, uh, and registering and, and what they do and how they stir up things in election campaigns is going to be critical. But I would say it's mostly how, how campaigns handle these things more than anything else, uh, with respect to, uh, some of these things that we're hearing on social media and whether or not they they take credit for it or take blame or whether or not they actually perpetuate these these falsehoods, uh, no matter what party you are. Well, there was um, an interesting poll, and I, I'm trying to remember where I read it, but it was um, it was based on how they asked the question determined the answer that they received. So the, when the pollsters asked, do you want Justin Trudeau to be your prime minister? The answer was no. But when they asked the same question, do you want Andrew Scheer to be your prime minister? The answer is no. Well, <laughs> and so the conclusion was that this will be a very negative, negative yeah. campaign. And, and so if we're, that could be evidence of, of what that poll is telling us. Well, it, it, interesting uh, in the Globe and Mail, John Ibbotson saying that exactly that, that it's, it's going to be who do voters mistrust less. But, but there's another huge factor that we haven't even discussed yet. And that's uh, the possible collapse of the NDP. 
the CBC poll tracker is showing them about 13% nationwide, under 10% in Quebec, where they now hold a lot of seats uh, that will likely be lost you know how and that's not good for conservatives is it well it, it's not in certain writings i think you know obviously we always want to have a, a, a good strong third party or a progressive vote that's split uh which which obviously favors the conservatives in a lot of a lot of writings certainly in the 905 and some of the suburban rural writings in, in ontario and in quebec and, and some of the other areas um but this election notwithstanding the polls which i think show um a tightening of it i think there was one poll i saw i saw, saw that was aggregated that was Show the show the conservatives a little bit ahead of the of the conserv- of the liberals. Um, I also think that the SNC Lavalin issue, as you'd mentioned early on in the show, Libby, uh, certainly hasn't taken effect, and I think it's going to be drawn out a bit more. Um, with a bit more focus as the election draws nearer. And I think it's going to have some effect to the narrative of Justin Trudeau and whether or not he was the person who people believed they voted for four years ago uh, versus today. And I think that's going to play a role in the psyche of voters as we get closer to the vote. But notwithstanding the all of that, the NDP, uh, they need to do well in this election. If the Green Party surpassed them in any in any way, shape, or form by way of seats, which is hard to tell at this stage, and Charles is right, anybody can't you know, poll uh, campaigns do matter. And who knows what's going to happen in the next, um, you know, uh, thirty forty five days or so? Um, but the NDP, this is a huge election for them. They need to really do something wrong, uh, something strong to to survive. And Jagmeet, the fact that he didn't pick up steam over the course of the last number of years since he's been a leader, certainly over the last couple of months, has hurt his party. But I, I think in fairness to Jagmeet Singh, the constituency base that the NDP served is shrinking drastically. And there is less, his, the party has less appeal generally. And I don't think they've re-envisioned and remade themselves to be more um, palatable to, to, the, to, the, to the next wave of voters that are coming through. Whereas the Green Party, I think, has um, a better opportunity to do that. Um, and what's interesting and what Kim Wright was talking about is that the Green Party is actually more a conservative party. Than, uh, than one would think. It's not a progressive party necessarily. They just care about the environment. Well, so that's an interesting way. How that plays out will be very interesting. Well, it's very interesting also. So uh, there were many opinions, Jagmeet Singh, saying that he would not prop up a conservative minority because of the gay rights issue. Uh, so some people saying that's a really bad mistake. He's uh, conceded already. And others saying, no, he's positioned himself as the real progressive person. Charles? Oh, it's a, it's a tough call. I tend more to think that it was a, a terrible, terrible mistake to give up that kind of leverage in what could be a, a minority parliament after October 21st. But I will say that if we are witnessing something approaching the collapse of the NDP, and I think it's far too early to, to make that judgment, but if, if we are seeing something along those lines, it probably has something to do with the leadership of both Jack Layton and Thomas Mulcair. And I know that's counterintuitive, but you'll recall that the NDP for many decades played a very proactive role in terms of the development of federal social policy, not because they were in power, but because they partnered effectively with the governments of the day. And it was Jack Layton's decision to turn his back on the Kelowna Accord, which would have meant a giant leap forward for Indigenous peoples in Canada. And uh, likewise, the, the defeat of the Paul Martin government was also a result of the NDP and gave us nine years of Stephen Harper. 
And so if, if you sort of connect those dots, you could come to the conclusion that the NDP has given up on its traditional role as a source of not only progressive policy, but also proactive measures to bring those into place in the name of self-interest. I want to give the numbers out because we uh, do have a little bit of time left on this, and I'd like to hear from our listeners on uh, what is it? Is it a negative thing for you who you mistrust less, Andrew Shear or Justin Trudeau, or maybe you're thinking along some other lines, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Interesting, we have our uh, Zoomer primary underway with the Zoomer vote and the NDP in that particular poll is weighed at 3%, which is kind of crazy and probably uh, uh, early days, but interesting nonetheless. Well, and it speaks to Karen's point about mm-hmm. the NDP and, and their sort of their base being sh- shrinking uh, over the course of the last little while. But I also think, too, uh, a lot of the uh, the unions that, that, that the NDP traditionally were, were sort of would, would, would rely upon as, as their voter base, um, you know, I think a, a lot of union members, this could be a situation where Mike Harris in 1995 won, and a lot of NDP votes actually went to him. Uh, you know, we, we won Oshawa writings that were, were hard, you know, heavy on, on the union base. And a lot of them, a lot of the workers, union leadership might not be very much conservative. They might be much more tending towards the NDP, but union workers themselves, um, <clears throat> get fed up quite easily and, 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 and are very much tired of, of taxation and, and overspending and that kind of stuff. And a lot of them could easily switch and go to a conservative, uh, and that dynamic can happen as well. And in some cases, and if the Green Party, uh, becomes a bit more conservative or, or small C conservative in their leanings, a lot of NDP voters can actually go to them uh, very comfortably uh, and park their votes there, which again would be trouble for the NDP. Well, yeah, and it's it's wrong to assume that because somebody uh, because because somebody belongs to a union uh, that they're going to vote left. Uh, some of our callers are union members and they're pretty darn conservative. And that's why everybody went to Hamilton on the weekend. <laughs> Let's go to Alex in Toronto. Hi, Alex. Oh, dear. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Bye, Alex. Bye, Alex. Is somebody there? Okay. Bye, Alex. Okay. Let's go to Sharif in Mississauga. Hello, Sharif. Hi. How are you? Fine. How are you? Oh, pretty good. You know what? It's really sad what's happening with this elections, who is running for it, and stuff like this. I wonder what's happening to pure Canadians. The only two good leaders that I could ever remember, there was Ed Broadbent and late Jack Layton. The rest of them, the old joke, like Trudeau, if he wants to win, which I will vote for Trudeau, to be honest with you. He better come up with something good that he can gain the people behind him. Okay, Sharif, we heard you. Thanks. So uh, Sharif uh, sounds like he's an old NDP voter. I don't mean that he's old, but... uh, Long time. Long time. (laughs) the, The party leader's past and maybe doesn't like the new guy. And now we're going to try uh, to bring in Alex in Toronto because he wants to talk about the union's role. Hi, Alex. Hi. Uh, yes, just, I'll just start with a preamble. You know, it's really funny because if it wasn't for his politics, I really would like to vote for Jagmeet Singh, and maybe for the wrong reason, because I've seen what rich white males 
have done. I mean, everybody says we're such a multicultural can- country and we, we're lauded around the world for that. Yet when it comes to choosing leaders, apparently rich white males are, are all we have to choose from. So I, except for his politics, I, I, I just can't, I can't deal with NDP politics. So I'll be voting for Sheer, very much the lesser of the three evils, I think, which will be the reason. Yeah, he's not rich, but he's if he tries to make himself out as being poor, he was pretty solidly middle class. Yeah. Well, exactly. But the one thing that's really bothering me right now, and this is I'm a Zoomer, and this has really almost gotten me to the point where I'm a monocle and a Persian cat away from becoming a villain in a Bond movie. <laughs> okay. Is um, unions and their interference in politics. The thing I don't like about that is under federal legislation, unions are exempt from paying taxes. And I think they should either shut up or start paying taxes. If the unions are start having to pay tax, hey, fill your boots, say whatever you want. But when I, when I hear all the unions, trade unions, government unions, and all the vile, well, I mean, look at the teachers' unions, alternative facts, because they can't say they're lies, but let's call them alternative facts. And they really affect people. And I think they should either have to shut up or pay up. Okay, Alex, thanks for that. Uh, I did want to get to that. Um, I did want to get to that, and that is uh, at the provincial level. So we're back to school with all the contracts expired, though the teachers' unions are not in a legal strike position. Uh, and uh, the unions are coming off a big ad campaign. So they say cuts. We have a new minister of education who seems to be doing a lot better than the old one, but but still the narrative, uh, he's saying we've added more money, we're putting more things in the curriculum. Uh, how how are, how are, is the Ford government doing on that, Karen? Well, it's, it, it'll, it'll have to play itself out. I think that um, until there's a disruption, in the classroom. I don't think people are that engaged in the process. They know that there's ongoing back and forth between the, the teachers unions and the government. But as long as their kids can still go to school, I think parents are just waiting for it to play itself out. And, you know, there are some repercussions. I think some teachers have said they're not going to do extracurricular stuff. But but by and large, you know, we've been here before. And yeah. it, same it's same old, same it's old. It's kind of same old, same old until there's until there's something until they don't issue report cards. I don't think anyone's really going to pay much attention. Charles? Well, there are a lot of teachers paying attention. That much is certain. And there are certainly a lot of teachers in the province of Ontario. Um, I think the new education minister, Stephen Lecce, is a, is a very, very capable, politically skilled individual. I won't be surprised at all if he ends up as leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservatives at some point in, in the future. Um, <laughs> you read my mind. Yeah. But, but, um, but Karen's right. It's far too early to tell uh, how this issue will play itself out. And the fact of Stephen Lecce's appointment as education minister, his first appointment as a cabinet minister, um, could be very telling. I mean, he's either there as a moderator who is really going to try to bring people together and come to an agreement that will work for everyone, or he's at the vanguard of, of a wedge issue, which is, you know, the, the traditional conservative temptation to go to war with the unions and show, who, show them who the boss is. 
And that that is that's the and the teachers union, particularly, and all those people who think teachers have the cushiest lives around. John, well, I think you know certainly with this government, what you're seeing is um, they're certainly paying attention to the unions. Um, the fact that that you, you've changed minister uh, with Seaman Lecce there, and the first thing that he did as minister was reach out to the unions uh, to to at least let them know that he's listening, that he's going to be there, that he's going to be responsive, that he's going to at least have communication with them, good, bad, or indifferent. But at least that was a, an outreach that they appreciated, and I thought was that Stephen wanted to, the minister wanted to make sure that they understood that this minister was going to pay attention to them was, was step one. The other thing I think that, that shows um, a positive sign with this government being a bit more um, willing to to work with unions uh, is that, you know, the Minister of Labor, Monty McNaughton, marched with the unions uh, in Labor Day. So there's signs that this government is trying to reach out and, and uh, you know, and work with unions, I think, is, is a positive step because nobody wants to ever dismiss unions and automatically think that they're going to vote NDP or they're NDP voters. I think a lot of the leadership may, may tend to be supportive, but not the actual workers and, and union members who tend to vote their conscience based on the issues of the day. Okay, uh, let's get a quick comment from George in Cayuga. Hi, George. Uh, good afternoon. First time caller. Okay, but... wait. <laughs> there you go. Welcome. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, well, I'm 83 years old, and I wish I could move, afford to move to British Columbia, just for a once in a lifetime chance to vote for an honest, principled politician. Jody Wilson, as my in my opinion, yeah, I think her writing uh, is very expensive. <laughs> Vancouver is the most expensive Vancouver real Granville. estate in the city. So, uh, George, I'll confirm you can't afford it. <laughs> well, failing that, I think uh, I'll be looking at Theresa May or Sigmund. You mean Elizabeth May? Elizabeth May. Yeah, sorry. Although Theresa May might need your vote. She's looking for a job. Okay, yeah, and we we haven't even touched on what the heck is going on in Britain. That's pretty crazy. George, thanks for your call. Thank you. Okay, we've uh, got to wrap things up. Uh, no, but no. We'll, Oh, yes, yes, sorry. Let me tell you more about how liberals are great. Okay. Oh, please, that'll, that'll take a, that'll take a sec. Charles, that'll take a second. What's next? Okay. okay, we're going to be back next week, and we there will be more shifts and changes. And in the meantime, thank you so much, Charles Bird, Karen Stintz, and John Capobianco. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.